two middle-aged men in decline, embittered by political defeat, driven by passion, rivalry, and trapped by an ideology of personal honor, stand face to face with their pistols drawn. It is the summer of 1804 on the west bank of the Hudson River, across from New York City. By the next day, one of these men will be dead. You're listening to Casual History. An intensely motivated man named Alexander Hamilton rose from difficult beginnings, raised by his unmarried mother on a Caribbean island until she died when he was 13 to become secretary of the treasury in George Washington's first cabinet, one of the founding fathers of the new United States, a migrant within the British Empire who came to New York on the eve of revolution. He became an advocate for forging a new British-style state in North America one that would hold its own among the European powers. In leading the new republic down the path of empire, Hamilton played a major role in making the United States that we know today. Hamilton's life as both a revolutionary and a leader of the newly independent nation was defined by three relationships. The first and most important was his relationship with the army. When armed conflict finally broke out in the colonies in 1775, Hamilton joined a militia unit and began military training. By the time the British invaded New York City the following year, he was the captain of an artillery unit commissioned by the Congress. In 1777, he joined General Washington's staff and served there until after numerous denials, he was given the chance to lead men into battle at the siege of Yorktown in October 1781. The victory was the last major action of the war, but it was far from the end of Hamilton's engagement with military matters. The Continental Army propelled Hamilton far higher in terms of respectability, status, and power. One of the darkest moments of Hamilton's early political career is known to historians as the Newburgh Conspiracy. Officers feared the army would be disbanded before they were paid, and once that was done, they would lose all influence on politics. The solution, some believed, was to take matters into their own hands. Hamilton urged General Washington to guide the torrent and bring order, perhaps even good out of confusion. What he did not say was stop the torrent, but just the threat of military takeover was enough to give Hamilton and his allies in Congress the leverage to approve lump sum payments for the officers. That same year, those officers set up a brotherhood, the Society of the Cincinnati, in a bid to maintain the status and power they had gained in the army. Hamilton and his fellow officers in the Society of the Cincinnati preserved the bonds of friendship they had built during the war, but Hamilton had developed another set of relationships that did much to shape his beliefs and actions. Although his childhood was hard, Hamilton fell early into the upper echelons of New York society. It was only with the help of wealthy friends like the prominent politicians William Livingston and John Jay that he could attend King's College, become an artillery captain, and ultimately find his place on Washington's staff. When he married the daughter of a powerful New York landowner, Hamilton cemented his position in America's Republican elite. If the army and the new nation's elite were two sides of the triangle that framed Hamilton's worldview, the third was his deep interest in financial matters. He had already helped set up two banks. His third, the Bank of the United States, would be his masterstroke. By consolidating the national debt, Hamilton placed the future of the country in the hands of the wealthy creditors, men like his father-in-law who could be trusted to look after its true interests. Thomas Jefferson, the Secretary of State, came to believe his colleague was a threat to the republic itself. It would be Julius Caesar whose policies would lead the country towards tyranny. Jefferson was far from Hamilton's only opponent. It was the men and women of the rural communities in the Appalachian West who posed the greatest threat to his new fiscal regime. 
when they rejected his regressive tax on whiskey and began to organize local resistance movements in 1794, after three years of conflict and failed collections, the government sent in an army to crush the insurgents. Hamilton rode with them to make sure the flame of revolution was properly extinguished. Hamilton also worked behind the scenes to engineer a rapid expansion of the federal army. His thirst for military power helped to sow divisions in the Adams government that ultimately led to both men's political eclipse. In the election of 1800, Hamilton and Adams' Federalist Party was turfed out of office, even in New York where Hamilton and his family had always had their power. Four years later, Burr and Hamilton met at the well-known dueling ground in New Jersey, the same spot where Hamilton's son Philip had been killed in 1801. Both men were nearing 50, full of bitterness of thwarted ambition, and Burr challenged Hamilton over insults relayed secondhand in the newspaper. Of the two bullets that was fired that day, it was Burr's that hit home. We can only imagine how history might have unfolded if Hamilton hadn't got his way during the formative years of the United States. As things stand, for good or ill, we still live in Hamilton's world. You're listening to Casual History. We'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,